This call is being recorded. Hey everyone, it's uh, Dave Barnett from davidcbarnett.com, the podcast, blog site, YouTube channel, SoundCloud podcast, etc., where we talk about buying and selling, managing, financing, medium and small size businesses, and any other things that people want to talk to us about. This is holiday chat number three, and I know it's February, but the reason why I'm calling it holiday chat number three is because I want to talk about the holiday chat promotion. And, and I, and I also want to talk about some other things that have been in the news lately in particular, um, you know, with the new year coming, there were some jurisdictions that put their minimum wage way up like uh, Ontario and Canada jumped from 11 something to $14 an hour uh, with an intention to move to $15 next year. And I've heard from a lot of business owners and a lot of buyers looking at businesses in Ontario because Surprise, surprise, a lot of businesses suddenly went up for sale in the lead up to uh, this minimum wage increase. Obviously, people were worried about what was going to happen. So I decided to have uh, my friend and restaurant expert Rick Nicholson back on because minimum wage is a huge thing in the restaurant industry. And profitability is a challenge sometimes in restaurants and labor is one of the biggest costs that, that restaurants have. So Rick, uh, welcome to uh, welcome to my show. How are you doing? I'm great, Dave. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being on. Um, and and I before we start talking about minimum wage in restaurants, I want to I want to talk about the holiday chat promotion just a little bit because I, I know that you and I talked about this offline a little bit, and uh, I, I think I want to get it out there for the people that listen. Um, before Christmas, for those of you that don't know, I offered an hour long call with me for twenty nine dollars. And the the caveat to that though was that the call was going to be recorded and released as a podcast. And within a day, eight people signed up. And I thought, wow, like I, like that was the inventory. I said, I'm going to do eight of these calls over the holidays because I had days where there were like holiday days. My kids wouldn't be here. I knew I wouldn't have much to do. And I figured I could fill in the call. So eight of them sold right away. And then within two days of booking appointments, I ended up refunding seven of those people. Because, because they they saw that they could speak with me for an hour for twenty nine dollars, but they didn't read any further. And when they when they found out that it was going to be recorded and released publicly, they didn't want to do it. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Number one, I did end up making two calls, uh, which were released: Holiday Chat One and Holiday Chat Two. And and then there were some other people who had emailed me some questions. Like a guy emailed me a question about laundromats apparently he was going to buy a laundromat the deal was in the works he wanted to talk with me about it and i said why don't you book one of these holiday chats we'll talk for an hour and and in waiting for him to reply i actually contacted a former owner of a laundromat who i helped purchase a laundromat and he ran it for three years after the transaction uh, before it ended up closing down and i i emailed that guy and he agreed to be on the call with us right so it was going to be an awesome call with a guy who wanted to buy a laundromat and a guy who used to own one and me. And then the guy replied back saying he didn't want to take a spot from someone who really needed it. And I thought, Oh my God, you don't, wow. want, to spend, you don't want to spend $29. So I thought, good luck on your deal, buddy. <laughs> so, wow. That's, that's I crazy. Dave. I mean, I'm sitting at Starbucks here right now and I almost paid $20 for my coffee. <laughs> well, it's true. <laughs> People will spend money on all kinds of stuff, and it always amazes me when people won't spend any money to get any guidance and advice. But that's that's another issue, and and so many people who watch my YouTube channel and who listen to my podcast and stuff, 
they do contact me and they hire me to work on their files and look at their businesses. I had one the other day um, and a, a guy sent me a set of financial statements and he wanted me to do a buyer insight analysis. And within 20 minutes, I was able to come back and say, I don't feel good doing this for you because a buyer insight analysis is a couple hundred dollars and I've already determined that this business has no value. <laughs> so, so he thanked me and, uh, you know, sent me 50 bucks and I, I was fine with that because, you know, he was excited about this business because he was excited about the kind of work <laughs> that the business does. And it's like somebody who gets excited about waffles at a certain restaurant and then decides to go and buy a waffle house. Right. And, and you, you have a history in breakfast restaurants. And so you've seen that yourself, right? Yeah. I have seen that. And plus it's funny you say this, Dave, and I, we haven't talked about this. So you're going to hear this for the first time, but I was talking to a, a young man last week who wants to buy a monument company. So a monument, a monument company. company that okay. does, yeah. That does like headstones and things for, for families with their deceased ones and so on. And his primary client is funeral homes because that's how they kind of, you know, that's the central point of, of ordering for when there's a funeral. Um, anyways, he's looking at buying this, this monument company of which he's an employee. And, and we didn't get into the specifics because we were just talking. He was going through uh, just the process of getting into business. And, and he was telling me how he had such a great deal and a great opportunity. And this guy's like 25 years old. And I'm like, this is great. Can you do me one favor though? It's like, what's that? I said, look at your profitability. Like, look at look at your numbers. And I'm not I'm not giving you any advice, but look at your numbers and normalize the financial statement as much as you can based on you know expenses that maybe are superfluous to the to the business and the owners is taking discretionary earnings and so on. I said, and back that out to normalize it a bit, and then look at your net profit, and and figure out how many times profitability is the owner asking for his business. So he was able to do that quite quickly because he had already done the normalization. And I said, okay, is that, where's that number at? He's like, well, it's seven and a half times. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, it's seven and a half times. Okay. So he didn't tell me his profitability. So I was like, well, maybe, you know, there's $10,000 and maybe the guy only wants $75,000 for the business. It could still be a good business, blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, so now I want you to look at the assets for me. But what's the value of the current assets? And he's like, well, it's about a hundred thousand dollars. Okay. So you you believe this? And by the way, he ended up the, the sale price was five hundred thousand dollars for the business. Yeah. And and he's moving forward, and I'm like, I'm I'm scared for him. I mean, and you talk about buyer fever. Like he's in this mode now, where like he's worked there for five years. He absolutely is excited about the business. He, he knows what it has done. He was a key employee. Um, and he's looking at it and saying, okay, how can I grow it? Um, but but it's, it's in his head now that he's just going to finance this and he's going to be his own boss. And it may not be a good deal. And again, I didn't see the intricacies of, the, of the, the business plan or the financial statements, but I'm worried for him. Well, I... I... I, I hear where you're coming from because I've seen it happen too many times and it's, it's, it, you know, it's, it's a fundamental part of my mission to help people avoid crappy deals. And I, I was dealing with um, someone who used to own a business and they, they were having to foreclose on a vendor financing note. And 
I started looking at the deal and I started looking at what amount was owed and what the guy had paid. And, and I, I did a quick look at the business. I said, you know, you're foreclosing on this guy because he's fallen into default because he can't keep up the payments. And I said, do you realize you sold the business for almost two and a half times what it was probably worth? Like I said, you guys have sold the business for far more than it's worth. You've already collected far more than anyone should have ever paid you for it. Right. And, and they, they really didn't have any idea. Yeah, like both parties to the transaction were completely naive. They'd never done a deal before. And they'd agreed upon a price that the sellers thought you know, was good for them and the buyer agreed to pay it. And now they're, they're foreclosing and, and, you know, I wonder why, right? Right. There was really no hope that this guy was ever going to be able to, to meet the terms of, of that debt because the, the amount that he paid was just too high. The amount of cash going into debt service was unreasonable. And the guy ended up working, you know, basically for nothing for several years while he paid this note. And eventually his home, you know, his, his, uh, his finances at home capitulated. So he, he just couldn't keep living for free anymore and had to be taking money out of the business in order to pay bills. And then that meant he, something had to give. And so one of my favorite quotes is from uh, author Ayn Rand, who wrote The Fountainhead and Atlas Truck. And she said, you can ignore reality, but you can't ignore the consequences of ignoring reality. And so you can pretend the business is worth a certain amount of money. But in ignoring the real value of the business, there will be consequences created that you cannot ignore. They will eventually. Yep. So I want to talk about minimum wage because minimum wage is something that is huge in the restaurant business. And we're seeing now governments around North America jumping up minimum wage is quite high uh, as a percentage increase. So in some cases, you know, 26, 30% jumps over a year or maybe a little bit longer than a year. And just in the lead up to the end of the year, I was talking with a bunch of different people from Ontario who suddenly had these opportunities to buy businesses that, you know, in large part employed people at minimum wage and the sellers wanted to get out. And, you know, people, there's all kinds of arguments out there about what minimum wage should be and what, you know, we should have the wage be a certain level for certain people and this kind of thing. And, uh, and I'll, I'll give you my opinion about the minimum wage if you think anyone wants to hear it. But regardless of my opinion and regardless of what other people may feel about the minimum wage, the truth of the matter is, is that if costs move up such that a business can't make money, the business will fail eventually, right? Mm -hmm. and so, so what kinds of things do people do when these changes in the economy occur? And I want, I want to get your perspective from someone who's been in the restaurant industry for a long time and who's seen increases in minimum wage. Um, and then I want to give, have a little discussion about some of the things I've seen in other parts of the world, because while business owners in North America may be seeing this as a big and sudden threat, business owners in Europe and Australia have already gone through this years ago. And I've, I've seen some of the changes uh, in my visits to Europe about how the economy has reacted in this and it's it's quite insightful i think but let's start with that question you know if you're a restaurant owner what what does this mean if if suddenly people you were paying 13 10 an hour suddenly have to be paid 15 dollars an hour well it, it, here's a, here's what it means you're 
your sales at a certain level and you're managing a restaurant based on a, a couple of numbers, the two probably most important are cost and labor cost. So one of the things that most people don't realize is as the gap increases on minimum wage, so as you take minimum wage from 13 to 15 to 17 or whatever you go to, the same minimum wage is $13 and it goes to 15. The employee who's currently making 15 no longer feels as valued at $15. So there's an immediate jump for most institutions to raise that $15 employee up a dollar or two dollars to reflect the gap between what they're making and a minimum wage. Because they see themselves with in 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 uh, relativity. In, they exactly. see themselves relative to the minimum wage. So exactly. So I'm better than a new worker because I earn two dollars an hour more than minimum wage. And, and suddenly, when minimum wage rises to match my wage, then I can't claim that anymore. Exactly. So so in order to maintain that value for the the employee who has high value, they're not a new employee. Maybe they've been there for a few years and they've demonstrated a good work ethic and so on, you're almost forced into a position where everyone takes an increase in salary. So right. when, you're look, when you're looking at an increase of 5%, you're looking at a 5% almost across the board, not just for the, the, the introductory employees at the minimum wage level. You're looking at it for everyone to maintain some type of consistency and value. Yeah. You know, here where I live, uh, minimum wage over a three-year period went from... Seven eighty-five up to uh, eleven dollars, right? It was it was a yep. really quick run up, and I know the manager of my local grocery store, and I was talking with him about it, and he was saying his entire commentary was exactly what you've just said. He said, "You know, we have young people that come here after school, high school students that help us stock shelves and and pick up carts in the parking lot, and we have women who have worked with us for twenty years as cashiers, right?" And those 20 year veterans, you know, were earning $13 an hour and their sons would come after school to collect carts in the dry, in the parking lot for $7 and 85 cents an hour. And then all of a sudden uh, over a two year period, their sons now are earning 11 and they're still earning 13. Yep. Right. And he said, how can you say to someone who's got 20 years of experience you can't raise your wages, even though your son now is being paid almost the same as you. And, and he's a high school student who really doesn't have any of the knowledge or experience or work ethic that you do. So, well, and so what happens, of course, is then the cashier's wages go up and there all of a sudden there's four robot cashiers. Well, well, exactly. And, and you, you have to raise it. I mean, if you have an employee who's been with you for 20 years, there's, there's some, you know, there has to be loyalty that's reciprocal. Um, so, so you're loyal to the employee and they're loyal to you. And, and in order to maintain that relationship in strength, you, you raise their salary, but you still have a metric to uphold when it comes to your labor cost as an overall operations expense. So, you know, in the restaurant industry, what, what I like to see is anywhere between 28 and 30, 30, 32, depending on the type of operation. So, and that includes all management and everything. So when we see a, a, an increase in minimum wage, 5%, 10%, or I mean, in some extreme cases in, in, uh, in New Brunswick, Canada, we saw some major increases over a two-year period. You have no choice but to either streamline services, which means bringing in robots, cutting out some staff, 
just having to deal with the operations the way it is. But, but by doing that, you also risk lowering your sales, which is not what you need in these times where costs are going up. You need to increase your overall sales. So increasing sales, one of the things that a lot of operations will do is they will raise their prices in order to try to maintain that gap again between the operational cost of labor and sales yeah. but there's but price is not in is not elastic at some point it becomes an issue for the consumer well it's, it's it's interesting because the the proponents of increasing minimum wage will argue that people who earn minimum wage when you give them a raise they spend almost all that money so they're they're kind of acknowledging that these are paycheck to paycheck people that aren't saving Okay. Yep, and so they'll say, you know, this new money then comes into the economy. So if, you know, and then you think, well, if that then means it's okay to raise prices, where's the advantage for the people who are going to have increased wages if the price of everything is going to go up? But one of the businesses that I looked at um, in the fall was a home care business. So these home care workers went into the home of elderly people to do cleaning and, and help bathe them and do food preparation and laundry and stuff like this. And, and I was thinking, you know, going to a lot of these home workers earn money, but none of the pensioners are going to see the kind of increase in the pension that are going to be required to, to increase the, the, the sales of the home care business. And what's going to happen is there are going to be some of these pensioners who, who really are pinching pennies, who have a tight, tight budget, and their response to an increase is going to simply be having their adult children come over more. They're going to cut back their purchases. They're going to ask people from their church community to come and help them out, right? They're, they're, they just can't buy more. They, they're unable to afford. And, and, well, you're, not, you're absolutely right when you talk about pensioners. But you can actually include anyone on that list who's on a fixed income. Well, that's right. Anyone on a fixed income, um, even if that fixed income is an employment income, even if you're, you know, uh, a, a well-paid person, you have a certain salary, right? Even if it's $100,000 a year. And if the price of everything goes up, it means you have to pick something you're not going to buy. That's right. I remember, you know, to talk a little bit about overseas, I remember once I was doing a podcast with a fellow who was from Australia and he lived in a city almost the same size as my hometown here where, where you and I live. And, and Moncton here is a metro area of about 150,000 people. And, you know, I know people point the finger at McDonald's a lot, but it's a great apples to apples comparison because there's McDonald's all over the world. So in our town, there are nine McDonald's locations, if you include the ones that are inside of Walmart's. Okay. In his similar-sized city in Australia, there are two. <laughs> okay. um, around here, they advertise lunch specials for $9.99 or $11.99. He told me that in Australia, it costs $18 to have lunch at McDonald's. And the Australian dollar and the Canadian dollar are almost at par. So it's, it's a very good comparison, right? So in Australia, though, they have these much higher minimum wages. And people have to be paid double time on Sundays and all kinds of things, rules like this. And so what has happened is the people who are in these lower wage levels, they do earn more money. 
The problem is there are far fewer of them and a lot of people who would normally have these jobs are not able to get a job there because people just won't spend enough money on meals like like McDonald's meals in order to have as many locations as they would have here. So I want I want to I want to add to that David. So the have you been to a McDonald's lately and ordered a a combo meal like a Big Mac combo or a quarter pounder combo? I haven't. I'm, I'm a regular for coffee, especially when it's on sale for a dollar. <laughs> or free, I right? I don't often go there for lunch. I really don't. Okay, so we travel a lot with our children. My son is playing hockey and baseball, and, and we're constantly looking for food on the run. And Not to bash McDonald's. It's not our go-to place, but sometimes it just makes the most sense. And I can tell you right now that unless you've got coupons, and they're very avid at sending out coupons in order to drive traffic to their stores, but a meal off the menu with no discounts today is almost $12 after you factor in taxes. Yeah, so it's creeping up. They're, they're, they're ha- they know they have to respond. Yep. Yeah. Now, I want, I want to add one more thing about McDonald's. I was doing an uh, education session last week with a, a bunch of new and budding entrepreneurs. And, and the, the conversation of McDonald's came up and how they no longer provided great service because of their, their drive-through system and blah, blah, blah. And once one person spoke up and said, yeah, you know, now they've got these kiosks when you walk in and you can order your meal, but it's not any faster. And I looked at them, they started to laugh and they were like, what's so funny? Like those kiosks were never intended to make their operations faster. And they were like, of course it was. I'm like, no, it wasn't. Those kiosks are replacing bodies behind the counter who used to take your order. <laughs> so yeah, my, my local... My local McDonald's used to have five caches and now it has right. two because exactly. it has these automated kiosks and it, they have a new app now. And uh, I tried the app. So I, I put in an order on my, on my phone and it said, and it, it used the geo location to find my low, nearest McDonald's. It said, is this where you want to go? And I said, yes. And then it said, when you get there, choose how you want to receive your food, either check into the drive-thru <laughs> And, or park in one of the designated spots and indicate which spot you're in, like one, two, three, or four, or push a button saying you're going to walk into the store. And so I, I made my order, which was just for a cup of coffee, right? And I, but I have my credit card hooked to the app, so now I don't have to actually go through the motions of paying. And I pull up to the drive-through, and my phone bings, and it's the McDonald's app, and it says, "Oh, I see you've decided to use the drive-through," like it already knew that I was in the drive-through. And I said, tell the attendant your number is SK22. And so the, the girl came on the microphone and I said, yeah, I'm, I'm a mobile order SK22. And she said, okay, great. She said, you don't have to stop at the cash window, just pull right up to the front. And that's when I realized that the kiosks inside the store are meant to replace the cashiers on the front counter. And the app is meant to replace many McDonald's. There are two windows, one where you pay an order and one where you pick up the food. And the app is their way of trying to cut down on the drive-through labor. Absolutely. Right. And so, so if you're in a business and let's say you already bought a business and the government raises the minimum wage, you have to try to figure out to, to keep that labor within the normal percentage range that it always has been. And that's either going to come from raising prices or increasing your automation. What, what I've been telling people is that in Ontario, for example, where minimum wage has just jumped up so much, is after the jump, you're then going to likely have to wait a year or two 
to produce financial statements under the new circumstances before your business really becomes sellable again. Because you have to demonstrate to a buyer that whatever changes you've made are actually functioning and are effective. Interesting. Right? Because, because what, every, what all the buyers are afraid of right now in Ontario is they're afraid that they're being handed a hot potato that now can't make money with the higher wages. Right. And, and that's exactly the first question I would say to anyone in Ontario is if you're going to buy a business that has a lot of minimum wage labor, are you sure it still works now that the wages have increased? Right? So the, the repercussions of these policies um, stretch very far beyond you know, what a minimum wage worker gets to take home. It has an impact on people planning to retire, people who want to make the move into owning a business by buying one. Um, well, it, it does. And when you talk about this hot potato situation in Ontario, Canada, um, I mean, you, you're, when, you're, when you're an entrepreneur, you're not in charge of regulation. These are things that happen beyond your control and, and you're forced to deal with them whether you like it or not. So you have a choice when, when there's a minimum wage legislation that, that raises your costs, you have a very simple choice. You, you have to either raise prices, do nothing, or cut staff. And if you do nothing, you are absolutely affecting your profitability uh, because your, your wage costs have to increase. Um, if, you, if you raise prices, there's a fear, and I don't know if the fear is real or not, but it's a fear nonetheless that by raising prices, you may not have as many customers coming. You may be seen as a little bit more expensive than usual. So, you know, instead of the customer coming five times a year, maybe they'll cut it out a visit a year. You know, that's still a 20% reduction on one individual customer. So, but that, that fears are, you know, again, I don't know if it's perceived or real, but it, it's still, it's still legitimate. Um, and uh, if you, if you, um, if you raise, I talk about raising prices, uh, doing nothing and uh, cutting staff. If you cut staff, again, you may be affecting sales. Uh, lack of service in, in a marketplace that's highly competitive like restaurants, uh, you'll, you may lose that customer again. So you, it's, it's a very fine line to play with. So when, um, when we talk about this, so far we've been talking about the employers and the employees. And we've been talking about the businesses and the customers. But the relationship actually is trying there are three parties to this right and the one relationship we haven't talked about yet is the relationship between the customers and the employees and and this is where i think that the people who are proponents for increasing their wages really have a blind spot and really have an opportunity where we're going to miss out and this is what i observed in europe okay? so over there the business owners had to respond by raising prices. Okay? And people, they like to eat out. So what gave? And it was the relationship between the customers and the employees. So when I was in Europe, this is what I was told by, by my friends who when I went out to eat. Like if I said, oh, let me pick up the bill. The very first thing out of my friends' mouths were, we don't tip here like you do in North America. And what happened in Europe is all the wages went up, 
And all the people walking around the streets say, oh, service workers, they're well paid now. We don't have to tip them. Or they'll say things like, service is included in the bill. And so you don't need to tip. So I had bill here in Canada, uh, I'd probably tip uh, $15, right? Or at least 10, right? And in Europe, I had a bill for six of us sitting down to have drinks and pizza and paid 80 euros. And they said, if the service is really good, leave one or two euros. That's it. And so what essentially has happened over there is the employees now are getting more money, but they're, they're getting fewer tips. So you could argue that they're probably not any further ahead, but you know who is ahead in a big way? <laughs> the government. The government. Because now what's happening is instead of receiving tips, people are receiving employment income, which of course is taxed. Right? And, and accountable. And, and can be counted, etc. And so you have to wonder when the government, you know, agrees to increase policies like this, under the guise of helping, you know, the working poor and the less fortunate and the lower skilled employees, you have to wonder, you know, what is the real motivation? A minimum wage worker here where I live, uh, you know, they're earning, their, their wage is going to eleven twenty five an hour. And if they work full time, they're still going to pay $2,600 a year in income tax. Okay? And, and their tax rate hasn't gone down. And their minimum personal deduction, the amount of money we're allowed to earn for free before before any taxes are applied, hasn't changed. Right. So so the government forces businesses to pay people more and then they benefit. Right. Oh, oh but they benefit in two ways, David. And and this this goes to a different point. Um, a minimum wage increase at, at any level is really a political play. This is low hanging fruit to get votes. And, and I, I, you know, in a, in a world today that we live in with transparency and information being it with social media and so on, the, it, it's easy, you know, when things are going bad, it's easy to say, hey, but wait a minute, we gave everybody a raise, like, we should, you should still love us. And, and in times of where you're trying to get maybe those votes from, from certain individuals, I mean, it's a key demographic of individuals who are making minimum wage. Um, you now have an opportunity to maybe sway enough of the vote to stay in power. Yeah. You know, it, however, it, however, it's it, a story for another time. Yeah. And what, what is the most difficult thing in economics, of course, is the measurement of what is unseen, right? If, you know, it's the, uh, the broken window theory that, um, if somebody breaks a window, um, and, and this is, this is one of the big criticisms of Keynes, John Maynard Keynes, is he says, it doesn't matter what happens as long as money's being spent. So the government should build pyramids, for example, just to spend money and get money into the economy. But if a homeowner comes home and finds that a window has been broken by a baseball, let's say the kids were playing baseball, went through the window. James would say, this is a good thing for the economy because now money's going to be spent. Repairing the window. But the other sort of school of economics, the Austrian school says, no, it's not because what we're not measuring is where that money would normally have gone. Right? Because if I didn't have to repair a window, then I would be able to do something else. And and people know this intrinsically from their own family finances. If you don't have drug coverage and your child gets sick and you're suddenly you're at the pharmacy and you have to pay $50 for a prescription, let's say, you know that means you've got to cut $50 somewhere else. Right? You don't have unlimited money. 
And so maybe that's a restaurant meal, right? Maybe that's, you know, whatever it is, something else is getting cut. So when people see that they're getting a raise, they think that's great, but they don't appreciate it or understand is the fact that because people have less money in their pockets because of higher restaurant prices, fewer people are eating out. And guess what? Somebody who wanted to open a restaurant now is not going to. And so all the jobs that could have been will not be because of the economic circumstances. Right? And, and governments are famous for doing that. They love to come into town saying, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And all these people are going to get jobs. Um, here in Canada, there's a big uh, payroll center that they've opened in one town. So they've consolidated all the federal government payroll systems in one place. And, and everyone says, hey, it's great for the economy. They're going to create all these jobs. And I said, well, and I'm constantly reminding people, yeah, but all these jobs are simply jobs that other people used to do in different parts of the country. So while it's great for this one town, it means that jobs have been lost across the country. But nobody bemoans those because they can't see it. Right? This, a, a job ad just isn't being replaced. So, I mean, my opinion, of course, is that you can't, the, the economy is not a machine. You can't do something to make something else happen. It's the sum result of millions of people making decisions for their own best interest. Well, and, uh, can I, yeah, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Well, uh, that, that was it. You know, the, an economy is just millions of people making their own decisions. And um, it's something that can be measured. But this idea that governments can manipulate the economy to achieve certain ends, mm, I don't know. I, I, I think we're learning with, you know, all the quantitative easing and everything that, you know, the, the central banks are trying to do to manipulate interest rates and stuff. We're learning that there's a limit to this. And uh, I think they're creating a big problem. Well, okay. So I'm not an by any stretch, but I, I know enough to be dangerous. And you want to talk about spending money. We it, it's well known that consumer debt is on the rise and mm -hmm. defaults are on the rise. So we're we're based on an economy based on on debt, and and that debt is being defaulted on at some point. At some point, and I don't know what point that is because again, I'm not an economist. But at some point, it has to it has to fall over. It's not on. It's on an inver, inver, inverted pyramid. So, so I look at that and say, okay, well, if you go into debt and you can't get out of it, and you and you you claim bankruptcy, well, your access to debt now becomes limited for a period of time. Well, if your access to debt becomes limited, then your access to spending above your means becomes limited, which is not a bad thing. But as we know, the rise of default increasing. So then we also know that at some point it has to topple over. And, and I'll go one step further. Again, I'm not an economist. But why are we stopping and talking about $15 an hour? If you want to increase spending by the consumer, give them $100 an hour. Give yeah. them $500 an hour. Well, it'll, the, it'll increase spending exponentially. You know, this is, this is where the, the proponent of minimum wage increases has to admit that their ideas are somehow flawed, but they don't like to talk about it because if you, you know, I've, I've said that before too, why stop at 15? Why not make it 30 or $50 an hour? And then they'll admit, well, that's too much. Right. Only because inflation then becomes measurable and not a custom. Right. Right. Well, well, and then, and then they, they have to admit that it's too much because they know that if minimum wage became $50, all kinds of businesses would close, right? 
And what they won't admit to is that a tiny increase in minimum wage will still cause a tiny number of businesses to close. We, you know, it's going to happen. What, what I see most often and here um, we had about 10 years ago, fuel price regulation came in where the government sets a maximum margin on, on gasoline um, retail. And what has happened because, as a result of that, and it's taken a while, there's no, there's no instant result. People don't see gas stations closing the next day. But what happens is you get these small country gas stations, minimum wage keeps going up. And because of fuel price regulation, their margins are capped, right? And then they're not making enough money. And it's maybe it's a family owned business. So the family members work more and maybe they're working for less than minimum wage, right? But they keep working the business because that's what they own. That's what they've got. And that's how they make their money, right? And then the day comes when their fuel tanks need to be replaced in the ground. And it does not make economic sense to do that. And so then they close. What's, what's starting to happen now is there are a lot of little towns, you can't buy gas at all, or you can't buy gas after 6 p.m. Because these policies are now compounding upon each other, and it's causing real-life discomfort and inconvenience for people. And, of course, people then complain. Of course, they complain and complain. And it suddenly it's the, the, the fault of entrepreneurs and business owners that they can't get what they want. When in reality, it's, it's the effect of these policies. And it, it's, it's why I often say to people, you know, you have to think twice before getting involved in any kind of business that has any kind of government regulation component. Because you, you would end up with a business partner that you have no influence or control over. Well, and I'll, I, another story quickly. I, I used to work for a pizza, pizza restaurant franchisor. And the average profitability per franchisee was at around 10%, you know, not including if they own the, the real estate, um, but just on operations, it was about percent And I was talking to a franchisee recently um, in, in terms of his operations, and he told me, this is now 13 years later since I worked there. 13 years ago, the number one seller is still on the menu. And over that period, we've seen inflation of two, three percent. We've seen increases in minimum wage legislation. We've seen get fuel prices on the rise, energy prices, and so on. The number one item on the menu is one dollar more today than it was 13 years ago. Now, you know, the the franchisor is taking increases in prices every year. You know, accustomed to inflation, two, three percent to try to keep up. But what's happened to the profitability of the franchisees has gone up ten percent down to two and a half to three percent yeah so then you you pile a five percent wage increase on them and they're underwater exactly yeah yeah and and, and as a result the franchisor is unable to find anyone who's willing to invest in a new location yeah oh, well i mean would you no exactly right and so and so this is an, a, a clear example of what i was talking about you know, the, the, you can't measure what you can't see. And what you can't see is the fact that they're prob they probably have statistics showing that there are areas, towns, neighborhoods, et cetera, that can support one of these restaurants, but no one will open one. And so these are all jobs that should be created that won't, right? Because of the overall economic climate that's been created by these policies. Anyway, we're not going to fix it. 
what are what are some of the we, we've talked about some of the things that uh, that people can do if they're in a business and, and minimum wage goes up. All of them are pretty obvious, but one of the things I wanted to to mention though that I also saw in Europe was different pricing for different levels of service. So in Paris, there was this little cafe, a sidewalk cafe with seating and then a takeout counter. And the coffee at the tables was two euros and the coffee at the takeout counter was a euro 50. So it, it cost 50 cents. Uh, I don't know what this, what the, what <coughs> built out of uh, cents or sous, I guess they call them in France, um, in order to sit down. Right. So they, they actually charge different rates for different levels of service. And this is where I think the, the population gets the notion, you know, of, of service being included. Okay. And it's, it's obviously the restaurateur trying to figure out how they can raise prices and maybe they figure they can raise prices on the sit-down coffee versus the takeout coffee. Well, one of the other things that you're seeing in the restaurant industry, and they're starting to pop up more and more, are these uh, co-operated spaces. Yeah. So you, you don't need one employee in each operate. If you had two operations working in the same space, you don't need two employees. You only need one to operate both. So we're seeing combination, uh, one area burger and fries and another area, some type of Tex-Mex food. And uh, instead of having two, three employees per operation, you only have two or three employees to do it all. So if one yeah. area gets a rush, they all slide over. And if the other area gets a rush, you know, if, it can, if one person can't handle the demand of the customers, then another employee slides over. And, and that's one of the businesses that I own. That's what we're looking at doing. We're looking at having some type of a value-added service that uh, can increase sales, but not really affect the labor component. So, at an addition of a of a co-loan, a co-operated space uh, like ice cream. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. It it really does, um, you know, it really does show that business and entrepreneurship really is about creativity and problem solving. It's about getting your customers what they want at a price they're willing to accept and making sure that, that it makes sense for you that you're going to earn money and that it's ultimately going to make sense for the employees because, you know, and, and this is the thing about minimum wage is if there was no minimum wage at all, if there just wasn't a rule, uh, most of these social justice people believe that everyone would be out there working for a dollar an hour. It just wouldn't be the case. Right. Nope. There would be a certain point where an, a, a business just wouldn't be able to attract anybody worthwhile if they weren't offering enough money as a wage. And, you know, uh, I, I know it exists where <clears throat> there are restaurants, for example, that are busy in the summer and they'll get people like like school teachers who are off in the summer and they'll work there and they'll work just for tips. Right. And, yeah. and so there's a, there's a certain black market aspect that starts to happen. Um, all kinds of responses happen to these, to these policies. And it depends on who the business owner is and quite frankly, the level of courage they have and the level of, of trust that they have in the people that they're working with. But, and you see this a lot in big centers that have a lot of immigrant population, people who come in, they're looking for any opportunity to work. And so they're willing to work for less. I know of some uh, some African refugees, for example, that came here and they wanted to work and they couldn't find jobs. And what they ended up doing 
they formed a, a partnership, a business, so they were all owners, and they were doing office cleaning and they were undercutting everyone else. And all the other people said, how can they afford to do that? They said, it's easy, they're working for less than minimum wage. But it's not illegal because they're all partners. <laughs> right? And so, so creativity and problem solving, this is... This is what separates people who are, are people who can adapt from the people who end up who end up working for the government, I guess. <laughs> All right, Rick, it was good to talk with you. Perfect, David. Thank you very much for having me on. All right. Don't forget, everyone, go to davidcbarnett.com. Sign up for the email list if you're not already on it. And uh, we'll talk to you next time.